So I think I learned a lot through the pandemic about, you know, rolling with the punches a bit more and accepting that you can't always manage everything in a really perfect way. But I know that it helps me feel calmer and more in control and a better parent and a better CEO if I mainly try and keep things separate. Hello and welcome back to the Big Career Small Children podcast, formerly known as Leaders with Babies podcast. My name is Ferina Hefti. I am the CEO and founder of the social enterprise Leaders Plus. I've set up this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship because I want to give you access to inspiration and practical support so you can continue to progress your career whilst enjoying your young children in a way that works for you. Today's podcast guest is Amy Gibbs. She is a Leaders Plus Fellow. She's also the CEO of the charity Birthrights and she works four days a week. You'll probably agree with me that there are not that many CEOs who work four days a week, not that many people in CEO roles altogether. So this has been a really good opportunity to talk to her about how she makes it work. She's quite honest that she doesn't make it work equally as well all the time. We talk about work-life balance and what, what is your approach, what should be your approach to work-life balance. And most importantly, we talk about self-care and looking after yourself and putting yourself first at times, which she's such an inspiration and she's someone very honest, which I think is just makes always for the best cost. Applications to the fellowship are now closed, but if you do want a senior leader mentor, if you want lots of practical support and a group of peers who are ambitious about their careers and want to progress to senior roles and believe you shouldn't have to choose between enjoying your kids and your senior careers, then the fellowship might be for you. If we run it again in 2023, but if you want to find out more, head over to readersplus.org.uk forward slash register interest because then you'll find out early about the application deadlines and also funding places and also we have quite a few free events coming up including one for people who are pregnant and if you have any friends who are and all the information will be readersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter so you can sign up there and as I mentioned I love hearing from you and I would love to ask your questions of our guests. I promise it's not my way of making my job easy, but I just want to make sure we use, we basically ask what you really want to know. So if you head over to speaktype.com forward slash big careers small children, you'll get plenty of ideas to, you get plenty of opportunity to ask questions. You can either ask it anonymously, um, just make say at the beginning you want it to be kept anonymous, or if you're just recording generally, we presume we can use it in the podcast episode so we have episodes coming up with an HR director with a CEO working part-time with someone working in a male-dominated environment and so on so we'd love to hear from you yeah I really look forward to hearing from you and enjoy the rest of this week a very warm welcome Amy to the podcast thank you so much for making the time as part of your busy schedule to be here today. How about we start with you introducing yourself, what you do for work and who is in your family? Thank you, Verena. It's so nice to join the podcast after I've listened to lots and lots of episodes um, which have supported me as a leader. Um, so my name's Amy. I am Chief Exec of Birthrights. That's a charity that champions human rights in maternity care. And we provide advice for women and birthing people and families about their rights during pregnancy and childbirth. We train healthcare professionals 
and we influence change in the maternity system. Um, my family is, I, my husband is a civil servant. He works full time, but in quite a flexible way. And I have two boys. Felix is five. He's at school in reception. And Jude is two. He goes to nursery four days a week. So I currently work four days. I also work really flexibly within that. And we should probably say we know each other from two two things. So you were an Aegis Plus fellow and also, so you've been involved in our social enterprise and to a lesser extent, I've been involved in, in your charity as a, I guess, a book beneficiary of advice um, when I was trying to sort out birth options with my third baby. So thank you again uh, for all the help that you've given me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And I mean, that is all credit to my brilliant team who support you know over a thousand women a year who need advice like you did and so it's really good when we get a positive outcome like in your case <laughs> absolutely so so I think you're quite rare as a CEO who's well one a woman and then two quite young if you don't mind me saying so who has young children <laughs> we might not feel like that today but you know generally on average you are one of the younger CEOs out there how come you ended up as a CEO is it something that you've always wanted to do It wasn't like my childhood dream. When I was little, I think I wanted to be a ballet dancer for a while. And then when I was a bit older, I wanted to be a doctor for a while. So no, it wasn't my, you know, always my goal. And actually, even when I started my career after university, I worked in parliament for a while. And then I moved into the charity sector and I've worked for charities like Mind and the Children's Society and UNICEF. Um, so I've had a very sort of social change focused career in politics and in charities. And even it was only when I was um, head of campaigns at the Children's Society that my then boss said to me one day, you know, you'd be a brilliant CEO. And I was like, no, that's ridiculous. I could never be a CEO of a charity. So obviously, you know, the classic imposter syndrome was kicking in and I just didn't, I guess, as you've alluded to, I didn't see a lot of female CEOs or indeed CEOs in that are diverse in other ways, in even in the charity sector. And so, yeah, I didn't see myself there. And I also am my own kind of worst critic. So I just thought, well, I could poss never possibly do that, that job. But it got me thinking and it gave me confidence, you know, that I could, that people saw me in that way and that I had the, the sort of rounded leadership skills that would be needed in that, in that role. So him saying that to me as someone I really looked up to and who is now a CEO himself, just gave me a massive boost of confidence confidence, and started me thinking about it in the back of my mind, I suppose. So I never had a kind of very detailed career plan mapped out, but, you know, I've always been ambitious and I've always gone for opportunities when I've, I've seen them. And so I progressed up through the charity sector. And then um, actually I ended up in the current role I'm in at Birthrights. I was at UNICEF um, as director of advocacy, um, leading a big team on a maternity cover contract. And I was looking at what I might do next. And my I had one, I had Felix by then. He was sort of around two. And I the, the sort of balance wasn't quite working for me. And I also was looking for what I would do after that contract anyway. And I saw the role at Birthrights advertised. And I it was literally like a dream come true. It was a CEO of a charity, which I, you know, as I say, at the back of my mind, I sort of thought maybe I could do that one day. But it was a small charity that was growing. So it felt like it was within my wheelhouse. Like it wasn't, you know, trying to go from director to, to CEO in a really big, big charity, which would have been too, too much of a stretch at that point. 
And it was advertised as three days a week at the time. So it was part-time, it was a CEO, it was about human rights, which I've always really loved working on. And because I'd had my own experiences of maternity care, which had been mixed to say the least, and in some cases like quite traumatic, I it really spoke to me on a personal level too, the role. So I was just really lucky that I was looking when they were advertising and it was that sort of sweet spot of a part-time CEO charity role, which is still very rare in the sector. And so that's that's how I got here. And you mentioned that this person saw something in you and saw that you you were in quotation marks CEO material. I mean, imagine a lot of listeners will be listening to this and think, well, what type of skills do I need for a CEO job? Can you put the finger on it, what it is that you as a CEO have that perhaps you might not have had at the be- very beginning of your career? What, what is it that makes you ready for a CEO role? Mm, that's a really good question. I think what my former boss saw in me and what he said at the time was that I I was able to sort of see the bigger picture and I understood the detail and I could could have good command of that when I needed to. But I was really able to see the bigger picture in terms of the organization's goals and its strategy and, and what my team or or the whole organization would need to do to achieve that. So having that kind of strategic mindset I think it doesn't mean you have to have like done a lot of previous strategy development but being able to think in that way um combined with a really I'm, I'm very like people focused as a manager and a leader so um I it really matters to me that my team feel supported that they feel able to thrive that that they can have their own work-life balance and can work in a way that suits them and so on and I love working with people and so I think you know being a, a good manager and leader is also a really important building block to be a CEO, in, in my opinion, and, and in his at uh, the time. And then I think the third thing I would say that has stood me in good stead has been that I, I guess one of the skills I think I have is, which I've gained from working in quite big, complex organizations and in small, small ones like Birthrights, working with different partners and, and so on, is I'm quite good at seeing the other person's point of view. So in terms of managing you know, tensions or conflict or dealing with, you know, ultimately as CEO, if other people can't resolve an issue, it will end up coming up the chain to you. And I think I'm kind of naturally quite diplomatic. I like listening to other people's point of view. I'm really open to challenge and feedback. And so that helps me go into a conversation that might be difficult, let the other person or organization share why they're frustrated or what their goals are and try and find a kind of win-win. And you can't always find a perfect solution but I think in most conflict situations that I have dealt with you can usually identify what matters most to the other side what matters most to you and find something that at least ticks some of those boxes in terms of a way forward and going into things with that mindset the strategic head being a good people manager and being able to understand different perspectives and bring people together where there is tension and conflict and also where you just need to move people towards a goal. I think for me, there are the three things that um, are really important in a CEO. And what about money? A few CEOs I spoke to said that one of the key differences were that they had to learn to be on top of money coming in and to some extent money going out, but most importantly, making sure that money is coming in. Is, is that something that you would agree with or actually that wasn't on the top top list? No, you're absolutely right. And my treasurer of my board would be like, why wasn't that the first thing you said? Um, So yes, that is a major part of my role now. And particularly as a small charity where it's 
you know, for little charities, it's very unlikely you will have a big senior team and you probably don't have a finance director in-house. So having a grip of the finances and leading on particularly the kind of bigger pieces of fundraising is really core. Um, but I don't think that means you have to be like a maths genius or um, or an accountant. I am neither of those things. But I, through working as a manager um, at Mind for the first time, that's the first time I'm, I had a budget. Um, for people listening that might be in a kind of medium or a big sized organization, if you've managed a budget, which includes your team salaries um, and, you know, some delivery costs, that is probably fairly comparable to a small organization or small businesses budget. And um, the processes and the discipline that you will learn around how to, you know, monitor the budget and do reforecasting and, and make sure you're balancing the books, you know, using spreadsheets or other software. They're the, they're the tools you need. It's not, I think it can feel very scary, like being responsible for an organization budget, organization's budget. And sometimes it is, you know, you are responsible for paying your staff and, and yourself and um, making sure that that the organization can, can continue to run. But the skills you can, if you've managed a team with a budget attached, they're the skills you need. So, and you can apply those to, as a CEO. That is actually so helpful here because very often, you think that it's a very complicated thing. And I'm sure it can be complicated, but in, in the end, it is what you've just described. And you obviously work four days a week. And I've heard different philosophies of work-life balance. You know, some people believe in work-life blend, as in you're working all the time, but you're also all the time with your family. Others believe in very strict boundaries. What's your work-life philosophy? Do you have one or do you just go with the flow? So... It's definitely been quite quite a lot of trial and error. I think it's fair to say. Um, so I have learned over five years, five and a bit years of being a parent who works in senior jobs in different contexts. I've learned that for me, holding strict boundaries is is actually quite helpful. Um, now that doesn't always work, and I think you have to have the acceptance that you know you might. So I'm a bit of a planner, and I am quite a kind of control person, which obviously COVID. <laughs> Threw all of that out the window and was very challenging. So I think I learned a lot through the pandemic about, you know, rolling with the punches a bit more and accepting that you can't always manage everything in a really perfect way. But I know that it helps me feel calmer and more in control and a better parent and a better CEO if I mainly try and keep things separate. So, you know, an example of where that went wrong, which I think I've talked to you about before, Farina, is... I had one school holiday when I, so I've only just got used to the difference between having kids in nursery and kids in school and currently got the joy of both, which is challenging logistically, as you know. So the first year that I was trying to work out how to do school holidays, I tried one Easter to do half and half. So I had half days of a nanny, um, a friend's nanny helped out with my son. And then the other half day I worked and it was such a disaster. I just felt pulled in all directions. I didn't have enough desk time or meeting time or headspace to get into anything properly. So I was sort of skating over the surface and it felt quite chaotic at work. And I couldn't go on trips with my son anywhere because I didn't have a long enough day. And he just felt a bit shortchanged and a bit grumpy with me because he could take, you know, kids can tell when you're distracted. I found, I found my kids are very sensitive to that. They hate it when I'm trying to kind of sneakily email on my phone while I'm with them and they know and actually from a very young age they would clock that and get grumpy um my two-year-old when he spots it now is like 
mummy, no work, no work. And, you know, it's a difficult one because I do want them as boys to see that their mum works and that it's important and I have a senior job and all of those things. But also I want to be present for them and give them the attention and it's better quality if I separate it out and do, you know, more protected work time, more protected children time and I feel less like frantic as well so it's something I've learned is that I need to be quite careful about those boundaries whilst accepting that sometimes it won't work so what I'm trying to do is sort of protect a bit better the sort of morning slot before they go out of the house and the evening slot before bedtime you know that's a good two hours at each side of the day it doesn't always work at the moment we're preparing for a big launch and you know, sometimes I do have to do a few emails uh, or like pick something up in those times. But I'm generally trying to protect the beginning and end of the day when they're at home and when they're awake to give them like me fully. And then I feel like I've, you know, given that I enjoy it more as well and feel like they're getting a better deal. But also I just enjoy it much more when I can be more present with them. I hate feeling like I'm not doing a good job at either thing. So for me, boundaries definitely work. So you've got a day off. Is it a Friday or a Monday or? It's a Friday at the moment, yeah. Friday, okay. Honestly, I so second you on this idea of not having half days off. I've done it a few times myself and I've had exactly the same experience. And sometimes you almost need a few hours to come out of your work mode and be fully present. But what do you do? What's your discipline in order to not, I mean, are you, or do you pick up emails on a Friday or what What do you do to up, because it's all well and good saying, sorry guys I don't work or girls I don't work on a Friday but then actually implementing it and more importantly for you to stick to it so that you don't suddenly email something I don't know what, what's your what, what have you learned about doing that so I think I'm fortunate in that my my whole organization works part-time so birthrights has it's been around for nine years so we're still quite a young charity and when we were founded um, the staff have always been part-time so that's like a that's baked into our ethos. No one works five days a week. Um, we work, a ra- some people work one day a week, right through to four days. And we all work different patterns. You know, some people do more school hours type working patterns. Other people do like, you know, three longer days. And so it's really normal for us that people are in and out of the office. Now, obviously that brings different challenges, but it means that the team, in terms of my internal network, um, the team are very respectful of each other's boundaries. And so I, you know, they might email me on a Friday, but they're not, they're not expecting a reply, much because that's the day they're in. With my other senior team, you know, if a media thing comes in that I have to do or that they or something happens that is, needs a CEO steer, they will, you know, they will WhatsApp me and, I'll, you know, I will respond to that stuff. Um, but I'm trying to be really explicit with external people, too, that I'm not around on Friday. Because I think when I first was working in this more part-time way, I almost felt a bit guilty about it, especially for kind of external partners. So if they said, oh, can you meet on Friday? I would like try and find a way to meet on Friday and have you, you know, do it around walking around the park with Jude in the buggy or Felix in the buggy at the time. And then I I would get into that cycle where I'd feel frustrated because I wasn't doing either thing very well. And I hate doing calls when the kids like important big calls where I have to think really hard. I don't, I can't do those with the children in the background. I can't do media work, can't do this kind of thing. So I'm trying, so I'm trying to be much harder with my external boundary too. It's true. And it's weird how kids will always pick, they might be 
quiet all morning. But if you do make the mistake of arranging a call, it will be exactly in those 10 minutes. Yeah. Or you'll you'll think, right, well, I've got nap time, 12 to 2. So you'll book a call at half 12 and that'll be the day they don't go down for their nap. They definitely consent your stress. <laughs> and in my experience anyway. So yeah, I've, I've learned that it's in my control. And it's my choice to say yes or no to some of those things. You know, occasionally it is completely unavoidable. But most things, especially on a Friday, like a lot of people don't work Fridays or they finish, you know, finish early or they're going away for the weekend. Like I have learned I have to take control of that and also send a really important message to the team and to external partners that we all work part time at Birthrights. And if you get in touch with us on the day we're not in, we will come back to you when we can. Or there are other people in that can pick up things. You know, there's enough of us that we can get back to people. So, And I think the way that you're describing it to me, you almost got, it sounds like you got over this idea that you have to work all the time and be present all the time in order to do a good job. So you've doubled the organization size in three years, which means you have done a pretty good job because it sounds like you helped twice as many women um, like me, which is fantastic. And you've done that, even though you must have said no every so often to an important call or controlled yourself not to check this email to see whether this partner got back to you that you were nervous about. And I think that's a really big shift in mind. And we do have, especially in a system that is imperfect, where you still do have quite a lot of ex people expecting that you work from nine to five, Monday to Friday. You really made that shift and you're leading by example for others, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to give the impression that I've got it nailed because as my team will say, I sometimes email them on a Friday when I shouldn't or I check something because I'm nervous about it. But I try very hard with that visible leadership. You know, I might know that for my anxiety, it's better to just check whether someone's responded to something or that a team member has done something, say, that I've asked them to do. But I try not to then get into my inbox or reply to people because then they think you're there and then it kind of generates, it's self-generating, isn't it? So I'm trying to be very clearly not around on a Friday. I don't work and I'm, you know, I'm paid a 0.8 contract. So I'm actually not working on a Friday. I'm not paid to work that day and, and it's not a compressed contract. So um, it is really important. And I suppose the other thing I'd say is that, you know, it doesn't always work. So I'm trying to protect my own boundaries to send the right message to the team and to the, the sector that you can work part-time. And as you say, you know, I'm really proud of what Birthrights has achieved and, and we all work part-time. It's such an amazing message to say that, we do all this. We've delivered so much support and change, um, particularly in the pandemic. And that's been powered by part-time women. We happen to all be women. And we almost all of us have children. And that is amazing. That is the power of what part-time working can achieve. But the challenge on the other side is that I know we all work a bit too hard. And whilst we're all part-time, you know, everyone's very passionate and wants to change the world. So the challenge I always have, you know, sometimes other senior leaders say to me, oh, well, how do you know that you're, we also will work, work remotely and we always did before the, the pandemic. And sometimes I've been in stakeholder conversations with other charity CEOs or, um, or just chatting to peers informally. And they're like, how can you, how do you know you're, if you, if you're there three days a week and they work flexibly, how do you know that they're, when they're working and how do you know, like, if it's enough, um, if they're only doing this amount? of days or hours and I honestly have never had that problem it's more the problem is more supporting people to have boundaries and supporting people to work the hours they're paid for rather than working you know an extra day because they do an hour extra each day and that quickly adds up to you know half day extra so I think if you trust your employees to work part-time 
they'll still deliver tons of work and tons of output. So it's not about hours for me. It's about, you know, the output and the objectives and the goals you set people. And in my experience, you don't achieve, I don't think organizations achieve less when people work part-time. I think they just, they're just using their resources in a different way, in a smarter way. I completely agree, obviously. <laughs> you're preaching to the, yeah, to the converted. Um, I'm intrigued by how you're helping your team to stick to boundaries because I can absolutely see where you're coming from. Everyone is extremely passionate about the important work, but they're paid for three days a week and they might not be as experienced. So if someone new comes to join you who's only ever worked full time and now they're doing a part time flexible role, how do you support them to keep their boundaries I think it helps that everyone's part-time so we don't have that kind of I mean I know I've said obviously people work different hours and and patterns but the sort of starting point is everyone's part-time so if you're not in on your day off or not your day off the day you're not paid um then you know there's no quibbling around that people aren't annoyed if other people don't get back to them I think that cultural point about your time with your children or whatever else it is you do in your life is say is important and sacred and protected and we don't expect you to be doing things on those days is is a really important cultural um value that we hold at birthrights that's really you know supports people coming in but that challenge about moving from a full-time into a part-time role is something I definitely experienced when I started at birthrights and a really good piece of advice I had from our treasurer was that you have to accept that you cannot do as much in five days I mean this was when I went from five almost five days it was like four and a half that I did previously in a different role to three and I think so one thing I've been talking with some of my team about is you know if you're working four days or three days you can't look at your week and think that you can achieve what you used to achieve in a full-time job now I you know there's lots of discussion about when you work part-time you're probably more efficient in the day and I definitely think that's true and I know you, other podcasts um, that I've listened to with you, lots of parents have said they are so much more efficient since they're a parent, so much more focused. They can really see priorities much more clearly because you just have to operate in that way. And that, again, that resonates with me a lot too. But you still can't do the same when you've got seven and a half hours or 14, 15 hours less in a, in a week in terms of your working day. And you shouldn't expect to. So in terms of, getting the balance right between how many meetings you put in your diary for the days you're in versus giving yourself some space for writing or thinking or planning um that's a really important principle to try and encourage with the team and so job design and like objective setting is obviously something that as managers and leaders we have to hold on to there um and and when you know my team are all very ambitious and and passionate as i said and i am too and our challenge is like saying no to things externally when, when opportunities come our way. So something we've tried to bring in is um, a no list where we're actually encouraging that it is a good thing to say no to some things. We cannot do everything that is asked of us and expected of us as individuals or as an organisation. So creating a culture where, um, you know, if people ask, oh, should I go to this meeting? And there's not, and actually, we, you know, we don't, we weigh that up and we think about pros and cons, but I really encourage people to say no to stuff as well as yes to stuff. And the third thing, I suppose, is that, you know, inevitably, even if you've got a pretty good work-life balance and good boundaries, sometimes there will be pinch points or there'll be big launch events or whatever it is you're working on where you will work more hours. And that's something we're going through at the moment with a big um, report we're doing soon. But 
we really encourage like taking toil back and making sure people actually use their leave throughout the year and don't you know don't forget to take it and and so we're very proactive me and the other managers at sort of talking to people in one-to-ones about their, their hours their workload we mo- monitor it through a staff survey and workload is always our kind of challenge even though we put all these things in place so it's a work in progress again but there's some sort of practical things that I try and talk to people about you know saying no is encouraged and um, thinking really practically about how many hours you've got in a day and what you can do in that time probably less than you think in terms of big chunky things and so we try and interrogate each other's plans and, and ambitions in a you know in a supportive way we're not going to dampen enthusiasm but also I don't want people to feel like you know if we're in control of our own deadlines then it's fine to set them longer to give ourselves more space and time because we're an organization only of part-time people so we just you know, our FTE I think our so our actual headcount is about 12 now it's 12 people but our FTE is probably only around six or seven because of the different part-time contracts we have so that's a real that is basically half the that's half of a full-time team so we just have to be realistic about that and it's still we can still change the world and do amazing things but we also need to look after ourselves and each other at the same time sorry that was such a long answer yeah and it's very impressive no 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 I was just thinking it's so impressive I bet any of the listeners who followed birthrights work would never have expected that you have six or so full-time equivalent employee posts and that is unbelievable that you've achieved so much and it just shows the power of part-time but I love the no list and that's the most I think that's that's something I'm definitely going to take and implement and the other thing that resonated with me is that actually your story clearly explains that it you are never going to have the perfect work-life balance and probably you don't want to because if you want in a life that is so simple you might get bored I think you know if, if your life if you never have um, to do something for your children during work time and vice versa, then I think that's just completely unrealistic. And we, I hate, not to be negative, but I really hate this idea of, you know, the people who say, oh, find your perfect work-life balance. And actually, there is just no perfect life balance. There is just life. Totally. And it's a bit messy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's right. You know, you've got, I suppose the other, the other really helpful principle that I try and hold on to, and this definitely... I got this from Leaders Plus, so thank you to you and also to my mentor who I had through that program, um, is that as well as the, like day-to-day, there's no perfect work-life balance, but also in terms of whatever contract you agree with your employer and you know the childcare that you have to sort of match that, there isn't one perfect balance that will work long-term for you either. So I think one of the reasons I wanted to do Leaders Plus is because I was really you know, I was a senior leader already. I had worked in really big organizations and tried to do kind of compressed working. I then was at Birthrights in a much smaller place, working in three-day week, which was challenging for different reasons. And I was just really struggling with like, what's the right balance for me as a big kind of existential question. Um, But then um, what I learned through Leaders Plus is that there isn't like a golden bullet or like a perfect solution that a that works for every parent and every family or b that will work for you throughout your whole career and your whole children's life so one of the things I took from some of the other fellows and from some of the speakers that we had um, and the workshops we did was just there's such a diversity of ways that you can be a senior leader 
with young children or indeed older children. Um, you know, some people work full time in massive global jobs and they have an incredible support network and lots of childcare, obviously, because you need to be honest that that is how you do it. Um, or then maybe their partner works differently and they are really happy and thriving and that's what works for them at that time. And there are others who are working in, you know, more freelance ways or, or like me are working kind of three or four days and they have kind of different setups around childcare, formal and informal. They're all brilliant. Like there isn't one option. I found that really liberating to accept to myself that I need to find what works for me right now. And I went up to four days when I came back from that leave after having two children, which might feel a bit counterintuitive. So I had a three day week job when I had Phoenix. I went on mat leave mostly in the pandemic. And then when I came back to work and I had two children, by then I asked to go up to four days and that was because I found three days was too little as a CEO even of a small charity you know the scope of the job is broad I had a team and and lots of pressures and and sort of demands on the role so I wanted to have it it felt more appropriate to be doing that in four days because I was doing it anyway really and I wanted to be paid for that and and I think the you know the board totally recognized that and they were brilliant so I went up to four days and I accepted that that was what was right at that time and what I'd argued advocated for that and I I was really lucky they supported my vision around it and you know I've got my childcare in place around it and everything but I know that when Jude starts school in a few years and they're both in five days a week funny hours like shorter days I might want to do a different balance and and you know it might not be that I want to work four long days I might want to work five short days or four short days or who knows because I'm not there yet I think that's also really important to take the pressure off yourself to find the perfect solution because there just isn't. And as you've said, life's a bit messy and COVID has shown us that in such kind of vivid relief that things can go not as you planned in a very big way. And we've all come through that and I'm sure all individually and collectively learned a lot. And I hope people are, because children have just been so visible in the workplace because everyone was at home and homeschooling for a while, I hope that has changed some attitudes to to parents as leaders and so on in the wider sectors that we work in but yeah that kind of freeing yourself from trying to find like the solution that will always work has been really liberating for me and it's something my mentor helped me with a lot and that Leaders Plus helped me with. Fantastic and we spoke earlier just before we came on air about looking after yourself and you mentioned that you've learned a lot. It can be very tempting to not put yourself first especially when everything happens your family needs you there's a pandemic happening you have a a charity to run what have you learned about self-care what do you know now that you didn't know three years ago I've learned that very I've learned that I absolutely have never really prioritized that and um, it came back to bite me at the end of last year so sort of towards the end of November I took an extended break from work um, and I came back in January and I was I was signed off by a GP for um, for mental health for part of that time, and but it was organised with you know I, I talked to my board and we planned it and and you know supported the team and so on, and it was really hard to make that decision to take time off for my my mental health. But I was about to kind of hit or I had hit crisis point in terms of. I'd had some, I'd had two very difficult bereavements that year. We've obviously had had two years almost of the pandemic and um, very young children, a very busy, high pressure job. And I just was so burnt out and broken. And I really struggled to take that step. 
because I, I sort of knew in my gut for a long time that I couldn't keep pushing on and that I was pushing myself to, you know, running myself ragged and pushing myself and pushing myself. And I felt like something had to give, but I didn't know what to do for a while. And then I, I knew that I needed to take time off. But I felt really conflicted about it because I really care about my job and my team. I didn't want to leave anyone in the lurch. I felt very guilty. And also, you know, there's a lot, there's still not that many leaders that are open or vulnerable about mental health problems or just struggling sometimes. You know, we, I think there's still a sense, it's changing a bit with COVID and I think and everything we've been through and the pandemic, but there's still a sense that you kind of can't let a tiny chink in your armour show because then people might not think you're a very good CEO anymore. And I really struggled with that. And I, I thought, you know, I can't let anyone, if I, if people know I'm struggling, they might think I'm doing a rubbish job. And as someone who likes, like most people, I think, likes feedback and likes to be thought of in a good way and and is ambitious and, you know, wants to be influential and, and also wants to send a good message to kind of pa- parents or prospective parents that you can have this kind of job and have kids. I really struggled. I thought I'm going to let everyone down and I'm going to, you know, damage everyone's perception of me. And, all of those things that you think when you're in a dark place. Um, but the lesson is that it was absolutely the right thing to do. My team and my boss and all of our external partners and funders, I was I decided to just be very open and honest about it. I was open on social media about it when I came back to work as well, about kind of why I'd taken time off. And, and it was probably the best decision I made last year. And I it helped me come back really, you know, more refreshed and, and with more energy. And I learned a lot about kind of bad habits that I'd got into that I needed to change some of which we talked about around boundaries um but also I, I got some therapy as well for for my I got you know grief therapy but that and I'm still seeing that therapist and that's evolved now into sort of more general support really for for me and having that external support is actually really helpful and we do sometimes talk about work challenges um but we also talk about family and kids and and you know bereavement issues as well and so I think for senior leaders whether that's or any leader really or any person whether it's you know a therapist or a coach or a mentor or just someone informally you know like someone you've worked with in the past who can be a slightly separate sounding board for you I think having that support in place putting that support in place for yourself can be really helpful because it just gives you a space that's for you and that person where you can you know, be really open about what you're struggling with and process things and work out what to do next. And and so I think having a bit of an outlet like that can be really helpful when you're trying to juggle the demands of the kind of very messy life that we've talked about today. And why would you not do that? Because your job is high pressured. You, you've, you know, we've all got lots, lots, lots on. And actually just look at it. Ra- I mean, it's just such a no brainer, isn't it? If this can help you to enjoy life more, to be more at ease with your job and actually have that important thinking time, because let's face it, you're paid to think to an extent, aren't you? Uh, I can't remember who that said. It was one of the other fellows on, I think it was Susanna Hardiman, um, another fellow on, on the Leeds Plus Fellowship. And, and that is what you're paid to do. So actually making sure that you don't have that structured thinking time, be that to think about your own life or thinking about your work is such a powerful way. And and I also think it's really interesting that you you frame it. So so you had that time where you took time off at the end of last year, but then also it's an ongoing thing. And it sounds like 
you learn things that we all all should learn about ongoing yeah self-care nugget that I have taken from my therapy is the concept of rest snacks so I'll explain that so I I think where I was struggling before is so pre having kids I've always been like probably a bit of a workaholic if I'm honest and I've always worked very hard pushed myself hard but then when I've gone on holiday I've been very boundaried and I've had like two weeks where I've slept and rested rested my brain rested my body nourished myself and read a lot of books and just so I've had very extreme high pressure high workload blah 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 and then like a chunk of rest which was you know two weeks or at least you know a weekend where I could genuinely rest and I think it's taken me <laughs> five and a half years of being a parent five years of being a parent to accept that like I think in my head I was, I was still striving to find that kind of chunky rest time so I would you know keep going on the the, the working working too hard and, and pushing myself too hard um but then at the weekends or on holiday as you know they are wonderful but they're not restful so I would then not be rested ever and what I have worked through with my therapist is that so there's um a concept about like drive and soothe systems in your kind of body or um, mind and so um if if you have a strong drive system which you know leaders will have because it's how you motivate yourself and then you know achieving lots motivates you and it's a kind of virtuous usually virtuous can be a vicious cycle if you don't nourish the soothe system rest and do self-care or whatever people want to call it then you can easily easily reach burnout and if you then have a, a threat come in like you know bereavement or something else difficult or a work challenge that's very you know hard to manage and you've not been nourishing the soothe bit that can lead to really difficult difficult situation for you personally so what I've worked through with her is this whole idea of snacking like so rather than being you know thinking okay the kids only went down at nine so I may as well work for an hour because I, there's no point like watching tv or having a bath because I you know I can't watch a film and I can't really have a bath like so let I'll just jump on and do some work or I'll just go to bed or whatever it is and um, she's just really encouraged me to think about like even if it's 20 minutes of rest it's still worth it so I and that's been also something else that's just really freed me up to sort of say yeah okay if I you know I'm frustrated because the kids have gone down later than I hoped it is worth it to have a bath even if it's not for an hour because I'd like it to be an hour but I can rarely get an hour or at the weekend if you know the only downtime I'll get is an hour while one of them naps and the other one watches a film I don't have to it's tempting to do all your washing or to do all your life admin or to do a bit of work or whatever but actually sometimes you need to say to yourself it's an hour or it's 45 minutes that might be better served like sitting in the garden with a cup of tea and a book or having a bath or just doing something whatever it is doing something that nourishes you now I'm not saying like self-care can cure you know mental health issues like obviously I have myself had support from a therapist so I don't want to come across as glib you know sometimes you need proper support but I think building in rest snacks you know little pockets of time where you do whatever it is that nourishes you and makes you feel rested and calmer and, and nourished um, that's something I'm trying to hold on to and it's been quite a powerful concept that does sound very powerful it's the first time I've heard about it we are coming to the end of this conversation although I would love it 
sorry to continue, but I think uh, <laughs> we've got other things to go to. So I would love for you to share with, so if someone listens to this and wants to move, uh, ask to move to four days, what are one or two practical things that you would recommend they do or think about? So they're currently working full time, they want to move to four days. So first thing is, I um, I would definitely encourage to think about, you know, ideally what model would work best for you and your family. So when you say move to four days, that might be five days in four. It might be 0.8 contract. It might be something else. Um, it might be flexible work. You know, there's lots of different ways you can cut that. So um, thinking about those different models, which day of the week ideally would work for you because there are benefits of Fridays off. But there are also benefits of like, I used to have a Wednesday off, which I loved because it was a nice break in the week and the kids only missed me for two days at a time. But you miss a lot because there's lots of meetings on a Wednesday. So, you know, again, there's no perfect day. And also think about that question we talked about around, you know, are you someone that wants strict boundaries? So you're only going to work four days and they can't, you cannot be contracted on a, on the other day or are you quite flex? And um, just thinking for yourself first about what would work ideally from your perspective. I think that will help frame then the second thing, which is, you know, having an informal conversation initially, I'd say, with, with your manager or your board or whoever it is, um, to sound out the idea of going to four days and crucially to kind of get a sense from them of their reaction and any concerns they might have, because then you can think about how you will alleviate those concerns and really present your case more formally. And then the third practical thing is really important, I think, to frame your case for this in terms of the outputs and goals that you have, like how what you'll deliver and the goals you have, and that you're still really ambitious and you want to, you will still deliver X, Y, and Z, not on hours. So yes, you want to move down to four, four days. And if you are arguing for 0.8, then that will mean that you're not in the office or working for, you know, a whole day or equivalent in hours. But rather than the conversation getting onto that space about, the ins and outs of exactly how many hours you're going to do each day it's more helpful to have a conversation that's about you know collectively between you and your manager or between you and your board um or you know exec team what is needed in the role what are the key things that are needed in the role and how will you deliver them because as you said as leaders and managers we're actually paid for thinking and leading teams and supporting our staff and so it's just thinking through what are the key things you need to deliver in your role and framing your case around how you will achieve those, whether you're working four days or five. So you can frame it in that really positive way. And there are, I mean, there's loads of evidence that Leaders Plus and others have about the business case for it. So, you know, people can also draw on that. But I think making sure you're comfortable about the model you actually want ideally before you go into the, those conversations can be really helpful. Excellent advice. And if people want to find out more about you or your organisation, where should they go? So the best place to go is the Birthrights website, which is birthrights.org.uk. And for anyone listening who is pregnant or about to give birth or, or has had a baby recently and, and, you know, would like support or advice around maybe a difficult experience, um, we would love to hear from you and to support you. And in terms of me, I am on Twitter at, it's at Amy L.W. Gibbs. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been really lovely to talk to you. Likewise. I really enjoyed the excuse of chatting to you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast all the way until the end. Um, really 
hopefully it was useful and I'm really pleased if it was. If it was, then do please share it with one or two of your friends on WhatsApp, Signal, Telegram, whatever you happen to use. It's been wonderful to see the podcast grow so much over the last few months, um, tripling the listener numbers, but we're hoping to grow it even more because there's some dream guests of mine, for example. I would love to interview Brenna Brown, and I would love to interview more CEOs, and there are plenty of people on my dream guest list. So I guess some of them, they want to have even higher listener numbers. So do help us out by sharing it far and wide so we can get all those amazing guests. And I would also love to answer more of your questions and we figured out a way to do this. So if you head over to speakpipe.com forward slash big careers small children, that's speakpipe.com forward slash big careers small children, you can send a voice note with one of your questions, which we can then put to one of our upcoming guests as part of the podcast conversation. And I think that would be a really interesting way to get you to participate and, and make the podcast even more about what you need to hear. We've got some brilliant people come up. We've got a CEO who works part-time. We have a HR director. We have someone who works in a really male-dominated environment. We have someone who has been the first one to, in her organization to work part-time in a senior role and applied for a full-time job but then negotiated for it to be part-time and so on. So yes, but the bottom line is, please send me your comments and most importantly, your questions. So speakpipe.com forward slash big careers small children. If you just want me to listen to your message, but not include it, then please say at the beginning that you want it to be kept anonymous and we won't include it. But other than that, um, we might include your message in the podcast itself. Um, so just let us know if you don't want that to happen and also we've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes to think about what more we can offer you and one practical thing is that we are putting on quite a few additional open events for people that aren't part of our community yet and the best way to find out about those will be in to sign up to the newsletter so in the next newsletter there will be a long list with events both for employers and for individuals that you can sign up Two, we've got one, for example, for people who are uh, pregnant um, and we'll have one about dual careers. So if you are a couple and both of you are working in high power careers, how do you survive or even is it possible to thrive? Um, do sign up to the newsletter if you want to be kept in the loop about that. There are also other events and opportunities all on the website. The fellowship is running once a year. So if you want to be Consider for that, the best way is to make sure that you go on leaderslust.org.uk forward slash register interest. Um, it's a nine month program, you get a senior leader mentor. Um, basically, they're amazing senior leaders who have lived experience of balancing young children and a career and who want to support others. You get an amazing program of workshops to support you progress your career with young children. Um, I won't go into too much details, you probably have heard about it, but um, there are always funded places and hardship fund places, so but for those it's worth being on the list early and therefore go and register interest. And I think that's all I wanted to say to you today. Thank you again for listening and any questions, comments, just go to speakeasy.com forward slash, sorry, speakpipe.com 
forward slash big careers for small children. Thank you very much and see you or speak to you next week.